1: you know, the battle for your mind, it's a real thing, not just because I say so, but as you will hear in the course of today's show, there's a lot that we're expected to believe, and when I say things we're expected to believe, I mean things that you can clearly see if you're looking are nothing but out-and-out lies. But the people in power say, no, 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 that's the thats the story, and we're going to stick to it, and we're supposed to defer to them and their expertise as opposed to what we are able to observe and deduce on our own. It's really quite exhilarating and it's fun to be a wrong thinker and I'm glad you're along. So let's uh, let's dive right in. First of all, thanks to my sponsors who make this program possible. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate them underwriting the efforts that I make every single day to find and disseminate the best, most credible, least politicized information that I can. Not an easy thing in today's environment, but uh, they are the ones who keep the wolf away from my door and allow me to focus on what uh, what my heart really wants to be doing, and that is seeking truth and speaking truth. So to uh, Sewing and Quilting Center, HSL Ammo, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, lifesavingfood.com, and MonticelloCollege.org, a great big thank you. I couldn't do it without you, and I'm asking you, my listener, please, if you have need of the product or service that these sponsors offer, do business with them or refer someone to them. Or better still, just, you know, send them a thank you note. Tell them, hey, you're helping uh, provide something that uh, that I find of value. Well, I'm going to start with something that's, that is that is controversial, but is only going to become more controversial over about the next week because the uh, upcoming anniversary of January 6th is about a week out. And I can say this with absolute certainty, like the anniversary of 9-11, which was a pretty big day after all, there is going to be a lot of emoting and a lot of posturing primarily by politicians and perhaps some within the media who are going to wallow in the supposed victimhood of all oh, the terrible things those Trump people did, you know, in Washington, D.C., And at the same time, they're going to be demanding more power and more control over the rest of us. As if they haven't been flexing on us for the last couple of years, courtesy of a little uh, pandemic. But what I'm going to ask you to consider is maybe, just maybe, we're not being told the full story of what happened. So in today's show notes, if you click on it, you will find a link to a story published back uh, on October 25th of this year by Revolver News, revolver.news, I should say. And this, is, it's so comprehensive, there is no possible way that I could even begin to work, even in two hours, if I just went steady, took no breaks for commercials, I could go for more than two hours on the information that they provide. But in particular, what I want you to look at is the story about Ray Epps, E-P-P-S, Ray Epps, the federal prote- the federally protected provocateur who appears to have led the very first attack on the U.S. Capitol. Now, you know, calling it an attack, I don't know. Nobody was armed, but there were definitely some people there who knew what they were doing, had tools to break in and get into the Capitol. And this Ray Epps figure was right there at the very head of it. In fact, the night before, he was telling people, we're gonna to have to go to the Capitol. We're gonna to have to get inside the Capitol. And people at that time actually called him out. You could hear people when he says, "We gotta to go to the Capitol and get in the Capitol." And people are like, "Whoa, no, 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 no!" And then the chant started from the crowd: "Fed, fed, fed, fed." <laughs> in the, in the uh, common parlance, he was glowing. The guy was was so much of a uh, supposed Fed, and I think I still think he probably was. What makes this interesting is back in October. Representative Thomas Massey from Kentucky questioned Attorney General Merrick Garland about Ray Epps. Particularly, he questioned him about uh, whether there were federal agents present on January 6th and whether those federal agents agitated to go into the Capitol. And Attorney General Garland refused to answer. In fact, he got very nervous, stammering, I, I, I can't." That's a, a breach of of, 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 of law. I, I can't comment on on an ongoing investigation. It really rattled him. But in this article, you will see there's plenty of video clips showing this Ray Epps instructing protesters to enter the Capitol building. On the night of January fifth, and then later shepherding crowds toward the Capitol on January sixth. Now here's the crazy thing about this. Actually, let me first, first let me let me give you the exact transcript here. This is this is Representative Massey questioning Attorney General Garland. Representative Massey questioning Garland under oath says, as far as we can determine, the individual who was saying he'll probably go to jail, he'll probably be arrested but they need to go to the Capitol the next day, is then directing people into the Capitol the next day, is then the next day directing people to the Capitol. And as far as we can find, you said this is one of the most sweeping in history. Have you seen that video or those frames from that video? Here's Attorney General Garland's response. So, as I said at the outset, one of the norms of the Justice Department is to not comment on pending investigations, particularly not to comment on particular scenes or particular individuals. Representative Massey tries again. I was hoping today to give you an opportunity to put to rest the concerns that people have that there were federal agents or assets of the federal government present on January 5th and January 6th. Can you tell us, without talking about particular incidents or particular videos, how many agents or assets of the federal government were present on January 6th, whether they agitated to go into the Capitol, and if any of them did? Here's Attorney General Garland uh, looking down and away. So I'm not going to violate this norm of, uh, of, 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 of the rule of law. I'm not going to comment on an investigation that's ongoing. Now the article here says there's a good reason why Attorney General Garland ran from Massey's question faster than he could find words. Why he couldn't even keep eye contact as he was dodging Massey's gaze And the reason is, after months of research, Revolver's investigative reporting team can now reveal that Ray Epps appears to be among the primary orchestrators of the very first breach of the Capitol's police barricades at 12.50 p.m. on January 6th. Now, that's while Trump was still speaking. Epps appears to have led the breach team that committed the very first illegal acts on that fateful day. And what's more, Epps and his breach team did all their dirty work with 20 minutes still remaining in President Trump's National Mall speech and with the vast majority of Trump's supporters still 30 minutes away from the Capitol. Secondly, Revolver also determined, and they prove in their article, that the FBI stealthily removed Ray Epps from its Capital Violence Most Wanted list back on July 1st of this year, just one day after Revolver exposed the inexplicable and puzzlesome FBI protection of known Epps associate and Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes. July 1st was also just one day after separate New York Times report that amplified a glaring, falsifiable lie about Epps' role ...in the events of January 6th. And finally... ...Epps appears to have worked alongside several individuals... ...many of them suspiciously unindicted... ...to carry out a breach of the police barricades... ...that induced a subsequent flood of unsuspecting MAGA protesters... ...to unwittingly trespass on capital restricted grounds... ...and place themselves in legal jeopardy. Now I can hear the wheels turning in some people's heads... ...Brian, are you asking us to believe that the federal government may have been behind or had a hand in instigating some of the unrest that took place on January 6th? Yes, indeed. In fact, I'm not just suggesting it. I'm saying if you read this article, and it's, it's a very lengthy, very, very well-documented article from Revolver.News, I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion. So now it leaves us with a question. Why would they do something like that? Oh well, gee, I don't know. I don't know. You ever uh, you ever heard of Operation Northwoods? Just out of curiosity. I'm not going to tell you much about that, other than you ought to Google it and just have a look and see if there's any evidence that at any time agencies within the the federal government, particularly those charged with national security would ever create a monster or create a situation that they could then ride to the rescue and save us from. Because it sure appears that's exactly what happened. And all I'm asking you to do is keep an open mind, especially as you hear the rhetoric ramped up by the media and by members of the political class over the next week or so as they wallow in the victimhood of all oh, the terrible things that were done the fear that we felt on on January 6th it was the worst thing since pearl harbor it was so bad crocodile tears they're just this is nothing but uh, melodrama for the sake of you've got to give us more money and more power over you take a look at the article it's linked in the show notes at the And just keep in mind, the media, the mass media, is certainly not telling us the rest of the story.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. Let's take a moment here and talk about uh, lifesavingfood.com. Yep, time to talk about food storage. Now, there are a lot of reasons why a person may want to consider, you know, having some stores of food laid away just in case. I'm not even going to say a rainy day, but more like what if there was unrest? Just hypothetically, what if there was a precarious political situation? What if the economy was teetering on the brink of something ugly? What if your money simply buys less and less with each passing day? You know, like if, hypothetically, inflation was a factor. Now, keep in mind, I'm not trying to scare you. But everything that I've just mentioned here is, it's a reality. This is part of the time that we live in. And no, none of us would choose to live in such interesting times. But here we are. Would it not make sense to do something to shore up your position Not for doomsday, but just for the sake of continuing life as you know it. For the sake of being able to provide for you and yours. And most importantly, for not putting yourself in the position where you are at the mercy of either a stranger's kindness or some government official telling us you're going to do this or else. People who are self-reliant have the option of saying, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that. So please visit my sponsor lifesavingfood.com, take advantage of the discount that they offer, 15% discount for my listeners, plus no sales tax and free delivery. I think you'll find something that will fit with your food storage plan, even if you're just getting started. A lot of great information. Just follow the link in today's show notes, lifesavingfood.com. You know, some people get uncomfortable when you start to show the similarities between, say, religious dogma. And science is a belief system rather than a method. Rob Nielsen does a great job in an article I just picked up off of everything-voluntary.com of showing how some religious figures and scientists eventually seem to become mascots for the cult of authority. So be warned, this this may bump up against the limits of some people's you know mental universe. My goal here is not to make you mad, it's not to make you fearful, but... This is definitely something worth considering. Rob has a very solid take on things. He says the relationship between the teachings of Christ and many so called Christian religions, historically and vaguely called Christianity, is similar to the relationship between the scientific method and science as a belief system. Scientism would be another word. To back this up, he quotes from the New Testament, Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Now, in both cases, Rob Nielsen says, a label is used to make a linguistic association with true principles, both in the case of religion and in the case of scientism. But the core of what people claim as their foundation is far from their understanding and intent, so they organize and act based on appealing to their own traditions and authority instead. So in other words, labels like Christian and science become mere brands that they use to manage perceptions and to promote their own agendas. Now here's the kicker. If you disagree with their cult of authority, you are accused of rejecting the namesake of their brand. So to question a person in a position of religious authority is treated as a rejection of God. Oh boy, have we seen this a lot lately to question a person of, in a position of politically scientific authority is to reject science itself. And Rob includes in his article, first of all, here's a picture of Cardinal Sarto who became Pope Pius X. The Pope represents Jesus Christ himself. And then right below it is a picture of Anthony Fauci. The headline, I am the science. I represent science. That sounds familiar, right? So Rob Nielsen is saying, look, whether you whether or not there are good reasons to doubt them or other authorities who disagree with them is brushed aside. They decide what the messaging of the brand will be. You agree with and obey the cult's chosen or you are a heretic. Truth be damned. And sooner or later, authorities insist that heretics must be shunned, exiled or killed. If people listen to heretics, they may stop giving attention and money to the cult. You see. Now, some people may think that's, that's pretty loaded language, and that's, I mean, I guess if it challenges your belief system, yeah, that would, that would be kind of uh, hard to take. But I'm not insisting you believe it, okay? I'm just asking you to consider it. That's different than actually just, you know, mindlessly nodding, okay, all right, whatever you say, Brian. I hearken back to uh, Aristotle who said, you know, the mark of an educated mind is the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it. But I think we've actually seen that threshold crossed where science, and by that I mean scientism, that, uh, that dogma-like belief in the, in the system, has taken on religious overtones. I mean, let's face it. if There are people who chant, chant the mantra, you know, follow the science, follow the science. And they certainly have their doctrines. Their dogma, they proselytize with the help of the media and with politicians. And they are very, very jealous and very unkind towards those who question what they say is the absolute, you know, universal truth. In a little bit different time and place, I think they long ago would have been burning, you know, the, the heretics at the stake, starting with anybody who questions the <clears throat> Vaccines. So my goal here is not to get you all riled up and angry at those people who are, you know, scientific dogmatists. It's not to get you riled up at the people who are, you know, religious dogmatists either. My goal here is to encourage you to be the kind of person who puts enough effort into their thinking that you don't become like either one of those. And here's the sad part. I think there are a lot of very well-intended people who get caught up in this. They really believe, no, 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 this is righteousness. You know, in the case of the religious, and I'm sorry, this is going to make some people uncomfortable, but I'm going to go here for a moment. Within my church, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There is a fairly strong contingent of people who believe, if you have not gone out and got your vaccination because the church's first presidency released a statement back in, when was it, September Saying, you know, we encourage people to get these vaccines, they're safe and effective, to follow the counsel of wise government experts and health experts and so forth. If you haven't done that, you are essentially seen as someone who is rejecting God. You are in a state of apostasy. That's kind of a dangerous place to go. And of course, as far as the science thing goes, you know, Anthony Fauci says it, we've got to do it. We can already see what's happening there. I mean, I was a little bit encouraged at the beginning of this week when President Biden came right out and told the governors of the states that he was on a conference call with, there is no federal solution to the coronavirus, to COVID. That's going to have to be solved at the state level. I don't think the states have the power to do it either, but, you know, at least he's acknowledging the federal government, all the king's horses, all the king's men can't do it. But at the same time, he just indicated the other day that, well, if Anthony Fauci tells me, if, you know, the man who embodies science tells me we need to impose a vaccine mandate for anybody wishing to fly on an airplane or to travel, you know, on an airline, then we're going to implement it. I guess, you know, we know whose ring he's kissing, so to speak. Don't let yourself be duped. You're free to hold whatever opinions you want to hold. I'm just asking you, think as clearly and independently as you can, and don't get caught up in the fervor. Otherwise, it really does become kind of cult-like. This
0: is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: And just like that, we are back. Thank you once again for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Look, I'm under no illusion that, uh, you know, this is going to be the biggest audience ever. I'm going to take the world by storm and everybody's going to be happy about what I'm talking about. Nope. I came to the understanding a long time ago that there's, there's a certain kind of person who actually is stubborn enough and committed enough to want to know what the truth is, that they're willing to look around and perhaps take a path less trodden, you know, than, than uh, what others are offering. And, and there's a lot of great voices out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I am the one voice that you can trust. But I also understand that the message that I'm sharing, it's not for everybody. And it's okay if that's not you. I have no ill will towards you. You don't need to go away and leave me alone. You heretic. No such thing. See I believe all of us are just trying to slog our way out of the swamp of misinformation as Paul Rosenberg puts it. We're all at various we're we're all at various places in that journey. Some are further along. I'm so thankful for the ones who are ahead of me on that trail and who've thoughtfully left markers for me to follow or clues for me to follow. This may be a better way. I'm just trying to do the same thing for those who likewise are trying to sort it all out and I'm okay. If my audience is a very small audience, which it probably is, I have no way of knowing exactly. I really don't. I'm okay with that because I'm confident that the people who have found this message and who resonate with this message, those are my people. Those are, those are people who care enough about truth. They're willing to experience the discomfort of setting aside you know, some of their prevailing beliefs or altering you know, their understanding of the world when they are introduced with new truth. And I try to follow this same pattern myself. I'm not the source of all this truth. I just happen to have a platform and a desire to share it as widely as I can. And I would also add, don't be discouraged if you feel like, gosh, we're so much in the minority. That's true. We probably are. I would encourage you, if you have the time, find a copy of Albert J. Knox's essay, Isaiah's Job. Learn about what the remnant was. That's who Isaiah was sent to speak to. I mean, he could speak to the masses. Anybody could listen. But his message really was a message of truth and encouragement for the remnant. The remnant are those who will rebuild after the masses have run everything into the ground. Look around us today. There's a lot of folks who, uh, you know, out of fear or just out of a desire not to stand out, you know, they're they're following along with the masses. You know, I could say lemming-like, but some would think, well, you're just insulting them. But what I'm saying is it's much safer to run with the herd. You probably already recognize that. So thank you for being willing to step out of the herd and just consider if maybe there's something of value to be found in in one of these different voices, like mine or others who are trying to get this message out. All right, shifting gears. Grew up watching The Karate Kid. I believe it came out uh, not long after I graduated high school. And for those of us who grew up with the original Karate Kid franchise, the current TV reboot is kind of a pleasant surprise. I don't know if you've watched Cobra Kai, but it's very well done. And, and you actually come away with, with kind of a, a different respect for the characters. I mean, in some ways, Karate Kid, especially the original movie, was uh, almost a little cartoonish, okay? The, the Johnny was such a bad guy, and it was so clear he was a bad guy. And Daniel, of course, you know, the, the uh, protagonist, he was just, you know, a naive but, uh, but well-meaning hero. And there's some, some nuance that's missing from that original. Cobra Kai, though, actually has some very valuable lessons, Got a great article here from John Miltimore about how Cobra Kai can teach a generation marinated in victimhood and safety some very valuable lessons. And a lot of it has to do with the radical message of individualism and self-reliance. John Miltimore says, Cobra Kai is back. Season four begins, well, today, actually. And he says, my family will be watching what is perhaps the most surprising hit in a decade and our personal favorite. Now, the Karate Kid's spin-off had flop written all over it after several sequels and reboots the franchise felt spent. Moreover, it was launched as part of YouTube's ill-fated plan to compete with Amazon and Netflix in original content production. Nevertheless, Cobra Kai has proven a smash. After being acquired by Netflix in June of 2020, the show dominated the Nielsen streaming charts, quickly racking up more than two billion streaming minutes. The acquisition, as Forbes put it, turned Cobra Kai from an obscure hit into the number one show in America. Now, he says the show works for several reasons and has struck a chord with young people. He goes, my kids can't get enough of it, largely by running against postmodern sacred cows and embracing some radical ideas like self-ownership, personal responsibility, and individualism, as well as some 1980s-style badassery. Now, Cobra Kai does all of this with humor and a twist. The themes of individualism and self-improvement are channeled not through a wise Miyagi-like sensei, but through ace-degenerate Johnny Lawrence, the villain of Karate Kid, who famously got his face kicked in in the fifth act. So, Lawrence, played by William Zabka, is not a likely protagonist. If there was a Mount Rushmore of 80s pop villains, Johnny Lawrence would be on it, wedged somewhere between Ed Rooney, Judge Smales, and Biff Tannen. In the original Karate Kid, Johnny was the seemingly privileged bully who tormented the working-class new kid from New Jersey, propelling Daniel LaRusso's transformation from punching bag to karate student to all-valley champion. See, LaRusso takes the title from Johnny, the defending champion. Whoops, sorry for the spoiler. In Cobra Kai, though, things have changed. Johnny's a down-on-his-luck, beer-swilling handyman who watches American Eagle alone in his grimy apartment. And from his red Firebird, he sees billboards of his old enemy's car dealerships, LaRusso Motors, popping up like acne across the valley. He's divorced, estranged from his son, and gets arrested in the very first episode. His life changes, however, when a young man in his building named Miguel asks for help to deal with some school bullies. Sound familiar? Eventually, Johnny agrees to train Miguel. But Johnny's no Mr. Miyagi. He's rude, a walking embodiment of toxic masculinity, and kind of a bigot. He calls Miguel Menudo and makes a crack about more immigrants, genderizes, and occasionally uses a derogatory word that refers to a female body part. At one point, he's asked why he won't let females into Cobra Kai. Same reason there aren't women in the army. Doesn't make sense. Johnny says, don't give me this sexist bull crud. All right, I'm just saying women aren't meant to fight. They have tiny hollow bones. Now, Johnny quickly relents about letting girls into Cobra Kai, however, and it's just one step on his path to growth. And it's this growth that makes the show so interesting. Johnny's foibles would be horrifying to the modern audiences if they weren't balanced against the larger arc of the story, Johnny's transformation from degenerate into a true sensei. Viewers see that Cobra Kai, the dojo that tormented Daniel LaRusso and Karate Kid, isn't all bad. Under Johnny's tutelage, a crop of misfit students learn something important, and that is, they don't have to be victims. I'm going to teach you the style of karate that was taught to me, a method of fighting your <clears throat> generation desperately needs, Johnny says. You'll build strength, you'll learn discipline, and when the time is right, you'll strike back. Now, the message is a bit controversial, controversial rather but the writers effectively show it's not just physical strength being taught. Johnny teaches his students they have power and agency. One student, Eli, is mercilessly mocked at school for having a cleft palate. Even Johnny mocks Eli, calling him lip. He refers to other students as crater face and nose ring. Now, if the storyline ended there, we'd see Johnny as little more than a cruel bully... who hasn't changed at all since Daniel LaRusso kicked his face in... at the All-Valley Championship 30-plus years earlier. Instead, however, after briefly quitting Cobra Kai under Johnny's abuse... Eli comes back changed in ways that are both good and bad. This is just one of the many examples of Johnny showing his students they have the power to shape their own destinies if they can find their inner strength, courage, and identity. And just as importantly, we see how this philosophy is transformational—transformational rather—in Johnny's own growth. Now, the moral here is take control of your life. And John Miltimore says, "Look, undoubtedly, some will find Johnny's antics appalling." Others will find them funny. But what's important is that Cobra Kai essentially is offering a Jordan Peterson philosophy for living. Use your power and agency as an individual to take control of your life. Johnny doesn't stay a down-on-his-luck Coors-swilling fix-it man who watches American Eagle alone and is mistaken for a homeless dude. After getting fired, he cleans up his life. He starts a dojo. He takes on Miguel as a student. He drinks less. He learns to teach his students valuable lessons and not demean them. He cleans his apartment. Now, that last item may sound meaningless, but it's not. It fits right into Peterson's philosophy of self-ownership as the path to personal growth. John Miltmore says, for generations who've grown up in what uh, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff call the culture of safetyism and victimhood, Cobra Kai may be the tonic that they need to show that true strength and growth is achieved not by fixing society or appealing to authority to resolve conflict. It's realized by changing yourself. Hey, maybe you've got something to do over the weekend, huh? Get caught up on uh, all four seasons of Cobra Kai. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. This
0: is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. Want to give a special shout-out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. They have been... One of my finest and first sponsors and have actually led the way for other sponsors to come on board here. But uh, most of all, I want you to know about them because if you are relocating or for that matter, just in the great state of Utah and uh, you need to uh, either purchase a, a home or maybe refinance your existing mortgage from VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages, you need to count on the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. She has the experience, the stability and better, better than that, the clout to help you get the loan you need without delay, right? Time is of the essence. Homes don't stay on the market. Once they hit, people snap them up quickly. If you want to be in the running, you got to have your financing squared away. Count on the experience and insight of the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, NMLS ID 715386. Patriot Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. Give her a call at 435-703-4522. Her office is at 619 South Bluff Street. And there is an email link in my show notes if you want to contact her directly. Well, the light's coming on for a lot of folks, and that includes people who previously have been pretty hardcore lockdowners. And the light is simply this. It's not like you guys were right and we were all wrong. But they're coming to the realization that no amount of authoritarianism will beat a virus Now, even so, the power seekers seem like they're very desperate to hang on to their dwindling power. James Bovard has an excellent article in the New York Post about how an air travel vax mandate would do no more to vanquish COVID. Bovard writes, President Joe Biden said Tuesday he will issue an edict requiring vaccines for domestic travel if his scientific advisors recommend it. Tony Fauci, Biden's chief medical adviser, has been yapping in favor of such a mandate in recent days calling it another incentive to get more people vaccinated. But requiring vax passports for domestic travel would devastate airlines and the tourism business while doing nothing to vanquish COVID. Bovard says with soaring COVID case numbers, Biden is under pressure to make some dramatic gesture to prove he is in charge. Senator Diane Feinstein is spearheading a congressional push for a VAX mandate for air travel, which she labels a necessary and long overdue step toward ensuring all Americans feel safe and confident while traveling. Now, the feds previously claimed that masking on flights was sufficient to protect travelers, but the Zoom class is terrified. Now they're demanding a comforting placebo. Effectively adding tens of millions of names to the no-fly list would also satisfy the blue state lust to punish Americans who failed to comply with the latest commands from Washington. He says imposing a vax mandate for air travel could be the opening opening step for far greater restrictions on Americans freedom of movement. The Associated Press reported in August that the Biden administration is considering mandating vaccines for interstate travel, but is delaying any such decree until Americans are ready for the strong arming from the federal government. Now, restricting interstate travel across the board would be among the most intrusive federal policies since payroll tax withholding. Enforcing such a policy would require the creation of COVID patrols, akin to pre-Civil War slave patrols waiting to chase down anyone who crosses state lines without proper papers. A Biden vax mandate for domestic travel would be built on the rubble of his prior disastrous mandates. Bovard says after Biden dictated that all healthcare care workers must be fully vaxed, hospitals responded by firing thousands of nurses who refused to get injected. Many of these nurses had natural immunity after surviving COVID infections. That spurred shortages of critical personnel at hospitals. So Biden sent in more than a thousand U.S. military personnel to assist hospitals. That failed to solve the problem. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention just revised its guidelines to permit employers to rely on asymptomatic COVID positive employees previously banned from their premises. According to Biden policymakers, it's better for hospital patients to be treated by COVID-positive nurses whose COVID vaccines failed to safeguard them from the virus than by unvaccinated nurses untainted by COVID. Vaccination status has gone from being a proxy for health to being a substitute for sane health care policy. Mandates have curbed almost everything except COVID-19 cases, Yahoo editor Javier David quipped. Mayor Bill de Blasio dictated that all private employees must be vaxxed, and New York City has one of the uh, the nation's most restrictive COVID vaccine passport regimes. But CNBC labeled the Big Apple the epicenter of Omicron infections, and 2% of Manhattan residents contracted COVID in the past week. So righteous political rhetoric will do nothing to prevent far more COVID cases here in the coming weeks. Why would anyone have faith in a new Biden mandate? Jim Bovard asks. In his January 20th inaugural address, Biden Biden vowed to defeat the virus. But COVID cases are setting new records each day. In July, Biden promised you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. By the way, there are links. Just in case you think he's making this up. Bovard has linked in his article to where exactly Biden said this. So, or... Biden promises you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Well, that pledge collapsed in a surge of millions of COVID infections among the vaxxed, which administration spinmeisters tried to dismiss as breakthrough cases. Biden said last week, almost everyone who's died from COVID-19 has been unvaccinated. But the fully vaccinated account for roughly 30 percent of COVID fatalities in Illinois, 25 percent in Oregon, up to 50 percent in Vermont. though Biden belatedly admitted this week that there is no federal solution to COVID. Administration lawyers continue fighting vociferously for his vax mandates in federal courts. Doesn't that make you wonder why? Why would they do that? Unless this is more about power and less about protecting the public. James Bovard says, according to die-hard COVID warriors and Biden supporters, the latest surge of COVID cases proves that the president needs more power. Effectively banning tens of millions of Americans from air travel would endear the president to his triple-vaxxed supporters. But another demolition of freedom would do nothing to end the most politically exploited pandemic in American history. Got a link to his article. It's there in the show notes. And, uh, there, you know, there's times where I feel very optimistic. Like, you know what? This thing may just settle back down, and the people who caused all of this destruction, the people who tried to garner so much power over everybody else, you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting they ought to be clapped in irons, although, you know, you look at some of the damage done, maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea, or at least, you know, a, a series of trials comparable to the Nuremberg trials. However, you think they could at least hang their heads in shame for having been so desperately wrong? about so many things but i don't see that i don't see that coming from the political class and i'm not just talking about the people in washington dc i see that coming from state governors and representatives i see it coming from mayors and other unappointed health officials maybe they recognize you know that there's there's risk to them maybe they feel like well i'm you know what if i'm civilly liable what if i could be sued into uh you know poverty maybe they're worried that they're facing criminal liabilities And in some cases, I think maybe they should. Former Governor Cuomo of New York ordering COVID-positive patients into nursing homes where comorbidities and, and vulnerability is at its very highest. It's not an exaggeration to point out. Tens of thousands of individuals died because of his order. So, yeah, I think there ought to be some accountability more than anything, though what I would be happiest to see is a sufficient number of the American people waking up and realizing they have been played like a fiddle at a barn dance. And I know that's hard. That's Look, admitting you've been duped is harder than admitting that you were wrong. Because I guess it it, it makes some people feel like, well, gee, people are going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think if I had a brain, I'd be outside playing with it. I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, if if you've done something wrong, you do have a duty to try to fix it. That starts with the mea culpa. That starts with an acknowledgement. Okay, I was wrong. There have been some people who have come to this conclusion. Very, very, you know, small numbers. But there are some lockdowners who have said, you know what? I just realized none of this has worked. All those promises about why I went and got the vaccine and how it was going to be the key to getting my life back, I'm still told. You have to present papers. You're not fully vaccinated. You haven't had your third jab or fourth jab or fifth jab. All I know is the people who thus far have chosen not to get the vaccine probably are feeling pretty good about that decision right now. Yeah, there's risk. You better believe it. There's risk out there that you're going to get, you know, COVID. If you haven't had it already. I'd rather have my freedom and face that risk than lose my freedom and still face that risk. This
0: is The Brian Hyde Show.